Thanks, John. <clears throat> That's very kind. It is an honor to be able to uh, open God's Word with you this morning, and that's what we're going to do. Every salvation story is a story of a miracle. Jesus made this clear in, in John 6, He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Yes, I mean, people can be attracted to the Lord and, and interested in him by the objective sort of external facts. They can look at creation or they can pay attention to history or archaeology and, and maybe that would convince them. And then there's also the internal sort of subjective reason or belief or uh, some kind of emotion that they might have. There's things on the outside and the inside that might draw a person to know Jesus. However, Beyond that, there must be a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. Every salvation story is a story of a miracle of, of God's Spirit who is at work. One of the most astounding things, though, in the midst of all of that, is that God does his miracle work using us. And this always amazes me, especially when I look in the mirror in the morning. And this, this is what God's word tells us, is that God chooses to, to bring people to faith in and through and around his people, his, his church. So if God is doing the miracle work of salvation, what, what is our role? How does he use us? We've just come through and are still living in a chaotic and fearful time of rapid change. And I, I was saying this to Pastor John earlier, I would almost start every sermon this way. <laughs> and I'm sure that, that you've heard this a lot. There's the list that you're very familiar with. There is the pandemic years and the war and the race riots and the gender confusion and the daily mass shootings and the tornadoes and floods and fires and inflation and political polarization. We, we add another big one to the list every week. And I know there's always brokenness. There always has been. There's nothing new under the sun. Every generation has dealt with brokenness. But this is our brokenness. This is, this is the mess that we deal with. And life in the mission field where we now live in this world, that has changed dramatically in ways we know and don't know in the last couple of years. My wife is a substitute teacher out in West Valley. She sees it every, every day she goes. My daughter works in the medical field. She sees it there. I talk to pastors, and they're, uh, they're asking the what next questions and have I don't know answers. I get to listen to more podcasts now, and, and people are struggling. They're rethinking everything, and I know that you've seen this. In your news feeds, in the area of calling in your life, Things have changed and people are rethinking and how do we rebuild and how do we live in these days? What is our part in, in God's kingdom in, in this time? Because God has laid it on us. It is a burden, it is a responsibility, it is an enormous privilege to, to bring hope, to rebuild hope in people's lives by presenting to them the message of Jesus Christ. So that's not just for pastors and, and missionaries and, and the elders. That, that's for every single believer and follower of Jesus in this room. That's for everybody. As a Jesus follower, we know the God who people are constantly calling out to when there's a crisis. I mean, if you notice, the most secular people, when there's a tragedy, are calling for people to pray. 
And the song they always pray at every funeral and every scene of mourning is always Amazing Grace. That's the song that's always played. They fire at the bagpipes or the organ. That's the song. People, instinctively, they know they need God. They need Jesus. And we know that Jesus has defeated evil. We know that God has provided for salvation beyond this life in Jesus Christ. We can help to rebuild hope, and God wants to use us. So, giving the uniquely troubled times that we live in, how do we regather, how do we rethink and rebuild our commitments to Christ and the gospel message? Getting the message out like we were just singing. Uh, Pastor John uh, has invited me to speak, not only to speak about this in relationship to individuals, but to Sun Valley Church. And it's a great privilege to be able to say, all right, you're at this anniversary point. God has brought you to this place. Praise God. Where are we now? Where is he going to take us? What does the Lord want to do through you as a church involving you in building his kingdom with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Throughout the Bible, there are examples of how God does this, how he does his miracle work through his people in broken times. And we can learn from those. And one of them was back in the fourth century B.C. God was at work uh, to rebuild his people and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. After the years of exile, uh, he wanted to be able to bring them back together and lay the groundwork so that he could send his Messiah. And so he raises up a man named Nehemiah, you know the name, and uh, Nehemiah has a prayer and a plan uh, to be able to come back and rebuild the broken walls of Jerusalem and, and its burned gates. And it's not only a protection for the people of Israel, but it is to the glory of God. Nehemiah can't do this impossible task uh, where he is. It has been over 100 years of rubble and ruin. He has a high-level job back in the capital of Persia. He has to leave that and come to Jerusalem and survey the wreckage. And then he has to be able to mobilize these people who haven't been doing this work and get them excited about doing the rebuilding. There's a very short couple sentences about what he said. I would love to hear that sermon because the people responded enthusiastically and they were ready to get busy and to do the work. And I want you to turn with me to Nehemiah 3. I'm going to read the scripture now. Nehemiah 3, uh, we find a list of the people that God worked through to be able to do this enormous task. And this is a passage that you probably haven't sat down and read through word for word very often because it looks like just a long list of names that are hard to pronounce. A number of years ago, um, I was invited to speak at a conference and I chose this text of scripture and I prepared my message. And just before I was going up to speak, uh, at the conference, there was a book table, and I, I picked up a book that was entitled The Bible's Most Boring Passages. And this one that I was about to speak to everybody was like number two or three on the list. A list of names doesn't really interest us or grab us, but it was important to God. Every single name on that list. So important that he even... Uh, preserved it for us so that 2,500 years later, we would read these names. And so, um, because it's important to God, as I read this, I want you to try to picture these people, the descriptions of them, 
and maybe even put yourself in this situation as you think about what it means to be a part of rebuilding and building the kingdom uh, that God might use you. And uh, pay attention and be thankful that you don't have to read this out loud because I am going to mispronounce some of these names. Um, but here we go. All right. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went back to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section. Zachar, son of Imri, built the next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasanaah, and they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. And next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Bahana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joida, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besediah, and he laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatiah of Gibeon, and Jadon of Merimnot, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, the son of Haraiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Raphiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah of Harumath made repairs opposite his house, and Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. Malchijah, son of Hiram, and Hashab, son of Pathet Moab, repaired the, another section and the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hunan, the resident of Zenoa, and they rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth-Hekarem. He rebuilt it and put its doors and their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, son of Kolhoza, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. And I'm going to stop there. The word of the Lord. Before you take your eyes off the text, just glance down. It kind of reads like the credits at the end of a, a movie. Uh, you see more Azbuk from Beth Zur. Uh, there's another Hashabaniah there, another Nehemiah, not, not the uh, Nehemiah the leader. There's um, places like Mizpah, Baruch, uh, different priests, uh, Azariah. At the Ophel, the Horse Gate, Zadok, go all the way down to verse 32. And between the room above the corner and the Sheep Gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. The Sheep Gate there is where we started back in verse 1. And so we've made a complete circuit all the way around the city of uh, Jerusalem. The word built is four times. The word repair is over 40 times along with the doors and bolts and, and bars. 
there's some profound lessons to be learned about how God uses his people in this list. And the first thing that would jump out at us is that he uses ordinary people in some ordinary places. Nehemiah is the refugee ruler. He's left his home and comfort and come out to help as the supervisor. But interestingly, his name is not listed here in this chapter, and that's telling. He, as a leader, is not the focal point uh, when the work actually gets underway out in the rubble. The real heroes in the rebuilding, getting the work done, are found among the piles of rubbish. After all this time, these are the people that are getting it done. If you think about it, that is one of the key lessons that we learned from the COVID years. And it was hard enough to go through, we might as well learn the lessons, right? We learned where the real heroes are. The crisis brought out the courage. And it wasn't always the sports figures and the Emmy and Oscar winners and whiners. It wasn't people who were, you know, had theories on every form of social media. It really wasn't even all the leaders in the seats and back seats of government. It isn't, in fact, always or usually those people that are famous or stars somewhere. The real heroes are the people out on the front lines who are doing the work whose names you, you maybe never hear. It was the first responders of the EMT unit or the ICU medical personnel that were doing the work. If you remember right when it started three years ago, people used to, to applaud and clap for the doctors and nurses as they came off a 48-hour shift through crowded halls and body bags because we didn't know what was going on and they were there. Or you remember the people who were the essential workers who couldn't just shut down. They were the grocery store clerks and the food processors and the caregivers and the funeral directors or people who are working on some assembly line somewhere making equipment for the sick or trying to develop a, a, a vaccine in a, in a lab somewhere. If you want to use the terminology that we learned from 9-11, the real heroes are at ground zero. They're the people that are doing the work and making the sacrifice for others right out there in the streets. That's what was happening here on the wall. And this is true in the kingdom of God. No disrespect for the leaders, they have their place and they do their work. But often it's the people who are just living out their daily lives that the Lord is going to use to do his kingdom work and bring people to faith. It's some guy named Hashab, Hashab who's hauling rock down at the oven's tower, who's getting it done for the Lord. This is the way the Lord does his work. I was recently hooked by an article as I was thumbing through a magazine. The title of the article was, I wanted to die for Allah, but now I live for Jesus. And it caught my attention because I'm always just in awe of how somebody who's seemingly so far away from God can somehow be brought to full faith in Jesus. And so I had to read this article. How can a young Muslim man who's fired up for jihad come to believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? So I read the article, and as it turns out, it was a couple of meals that he had with a couple Christian families. He had come to the U.S., and a family invited him over for dinner. 
And they didn't do any heavy, you know, apologetics and argumentation about, you know, Muslim faith, any of that stuff. They just sort of lived out their faith in Jesus around the table. And in the course of the meal, he was stunned to find that Christians are loving and kind. And it, it, caught, it piqued his curiosity. So that several months later, when his life was experiencing a lot of tri trials in his life, he remembered that, and he decided to go to a church where someone encouraged him to read the Gospel of John, and now he lives for Jesus. It was a miracle story of God's salvation. But the heroes for him in the story were the kids, the Christian children and their parents who'd reached out with some simple hospitality and had just lived their faith in his presence. It, it's a great illustration. Uh, it wasn't some theologian or pastor with all the answers. It wasn't a, a missionary in the Middle East, as important as those people are. The truth is that God uses ordinary people in ordinary places, living out their faith to do his work, his extraordinary work. And when he does that, he gets the glory. And if we believe Nehemiah 3, he also remembers the names of those people who are obedient and faithful to him. There's another observation about the ordinary people, and, and that is that they're very diverse. If you listen to some of the description of these people as we went through the list. Ordinary folks, very different folks. First of all, you had the clergy. Um, verse 1 there, there's the priest, the high priest. Later on, there's Levites and temple servants. They take the lead. The leaders don't do all the work, but they set an example. And their role, if you caught it, was to dedicate or consecrate the different sections of the wall. And by doing that, they're saying, look, this isn't just bricks and mortar here. This is a spiritual exercise. This is an assignment from the Almighty God because this is the city that is called by his name. This is where he works his purposes. This is where his people worship. The Son of God is going to walk through these very gates. And so the clergy play their role and they're out there doing the work. Then you have local politicians and rulers as you go down through there. Uh, Shalom and Rephiah, their town supervisors, their mayors of different districts of Jerusalem. You get to verse 7, and you find out some of them are from towns that are outside of Nehemiah and Judah's jurisdiction. They're from towns that are essentially in the area of Israel's enemies and opposition. But they, are, they know what it means to follow the obedience of their Lord, and they're there to work people from the surrounding villages. Uh, Jericho's 25, 30 miles away, Tekoa, Mizpah, Gibeon, Beth Zur, all these different towns around, people are making the trip to come and do this work. And they, they're from all different variety of, of guilds and trades and skills. Uh, verse eight, verse 32, you saw the goldsmiths and uh, merchants and perfumers, not, not builders by trade, no, in fact, there's no contractors or masons or carpenters or locksmiths that are even mentioned here. People who do perfume making don't usually use mud and bricks all that often. Although I thought about this, the gym where I go, some of the guys seem to have a perfume on that might be named mud and bricks. I don't, I don't know if that's a real thing or not. But 
These guys pitched in, and they did, they did the manual labor. There's famous and non-famous, poor and rich. Verse 3, the Hasanaa family, we know from other records, was one of the largest prominent families that came back uh, from the exile to, to Jerusalem. It would be uh, like saying the Rockefellers or the Gateses family. They're involved out there with people that we never hear of again anywhere else in Scripture. And then in verse 12, there's the young women who got involved. This is a kind of Rosie the Riveter story, if you know from World War II. The men went off as soldiers, and the women took the line jobs that they had left in the factories. And I, I don't think this is necessarily a women's lib sort of text, but it is a striking reference in this culture. The, the job had to get done. And so this guy apparently didn't have any sons. His daughters got out there. Let's just get the job done. Everybody did his or her part because this is what God had called them to do. Everyone was important. Some of them just built the little part in front of their house. Some of them built 500-yard sections. They did their part, and God remembered their names. They all had a place. It's a picture of God's people even today. God uses ordinary and diverse people in his kingdom today. I think one of the, one of the curses that has sort of descended on our culture is a kind of separation and division. People have sort of retreated into their own little tribes and are instantly suspicious of anybody who isn't like them. I read a study this week. Some folks had figured out how to track people's connections in some of the larger cities since COVID. And even to this day, there's a, they were able to statistically find out there's a 30% less chance that people are going to actually make any effort to go outside their own little group. There's this withdrawing and people uh, are, are not appreciating differences and the importance of it in working with others in that situation. And that's why it's important, as, as Josh earlier read, how we pray for other churches. They're not the same as this church, but they preach Christ and they follow the word of God and believe in salvation through him. And they're maybe different, but they're, our, they're partners. We work with them. God is using them even though they're different from this church. Same thing is true in this congregation. There is diversity in this congregation. God handcrafts every one of his local churches. He picks and chooses where he wants his people to be. And there isn't anybody here this morning that hasn't been brought here for a reason to be a part of this church for what he wants to do right now at Sun Valley. That's the way he works. I was here for your um, celebration on the Thursday night uh, a couple months ago, and Elder Dennis Smith had everybody stand up who was here when the church began 20 years ago, kind of the original members. And about 15 people stood up. It was great. Kind of, really kind of clapped. And then he had, they sat down, he had everybody stand up who has come to this church since that time. And about 215 people stood up. And it was an amazing illustration of how God is at work to have people do their work and then bring other people in to do what he wants to do. Different folks. At Sun Valley, there's 
newcomers and old comers. There's people from different parts of the country. There's people with different skills and realtors and teachers and students and married and single in between jobs and retired. You had a baby dedication, so you've got babies to 90s. You've got people with all different kinds of personalities who God has brought here to, for a purpose. And he has a place on the wall for each and every one. He knows your names. This is the way God does his work. This is kind of an Old Testament picture of what we learned and talked about in the New Testament, how every part person is a part of a, a physical body and has a role to play. Same thing here on the wall. God uses ordinary and diverse people to accomplish his will. Each has an assignment. No one is insignificant. And God knows your name. There's another miracle that's connected to that. I mean, it's one thing to be diverse. It's another thing to be diverse and unified. Because not only were these people ordinary and, and diverse in their skills and backgrounds, they were all working together on this project. There's no indication of here at this point of any infighting. They were getting the job done. You're going to find out later on it only took them 52 days to get this job done. It's a remarkable miracle because they were working together. There's a guy named Benui later on. He's so zealous for the work that after he's done with his own section, he runs over to the people of another town and works together with them, and people are helping each other out working together. There's only one exception. Did you hear it? Verse 5, the nobles of Tekoa, who would not if you translate it woodenly, they, would, would, they had an unbending neck. They weren't going to get dirty. They weren't going to do what the supervisors told them to do. They're the only ones. So folded their arms for whatever reason they weren't going to get involved. Imagine having that reputation now 2,500 years later. I don't know if we're going to get to heaven and uh, we're going to meet people, and, we, oh, what did you do, you know, in God's kingdom? Well, I was one of the nobles of Tekoa, and, um, I mean, I don't even know if they're going to be in heaven. I, that's God's business. Maybe they'll get an opportunity in God's grace to build the new city of Jerusalem someday and be a part of that. But it's a, it's a warning to us, because that's certainly an option. Uh, to sort of say, I, I'm, I'm not going to get involved, or there's some kind of jealousy or envy. This division in our country has produced a kind of polarization, which has become a popular word right now, where people can't even talk to each other anymore. And when they talk about each other, they talk about each other with condemnation and insult and demonization as if they're the devil himself. In that environment, what does it say to the world when people look at Christians who can work together and actually love one another? Even though there's differences who actually are working together for something that's bigger than themselves. You know, Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. By your love for one another. Uh, not just some uh, love for everybody else in the world, but how you love one another in the fellowship is going to be a testimony, an example uh, to the world, an opportunity to be able to work 
together. That's, that's the miracle that is happening here. We just actually read this in our confession this morning, especially those who are of the household of faith and how the Lord wants to bring us together. That takes a unique kind of humility. It takes some time. It takes forgiveness. I would venture to say that all of us have a memory of when it was difficult to work with somebody else in, the, in a church somewhere. Maybe that's a recent memory. It's not uncommon. Uh, but unless we resolve those things and forgive and not hold grudges and bitterness, it's going to stifle the work of God. And unfortunately, there are nobles of Tekoa in the churches today. I'm not going to name names. That's not my job. Um, but the Holy Spirit can convict them. And we are to be warned because when God does his work, the nobles of Tekoa, among, they're not going to be the heroes on the front lines. Who are you connected to? Who are you partnering with? Who do you need to be right with to be able to do the work that God has given you to do? In contrast, we've learned here that the essential workers, the front line, God uses ordinary people. It's not just them up there on the stage. It's me. And God uses diverse people. It's not just me. It's somebody who maybe looks different than me. And it's ordinary and diverse people that are working together. It's not just me. It's we. It's us. And I recognize that's a, a very high ideal. Um, anybody who is um, human, which I guess is probably most of us this morning, and we have to admit that even if we're well-intentioned, differences and diversity can bring division. And instead of building a wall in front of us, we start building walls between us, and the work begins to slow down. There was something that kept them going so that that didn't happen, so that they didn't start building walls between one another at that moment. And what it was, it was the wall. <laughs> it was the common God-given task that was in, bigger than them that they were all working on together. Everyone was focused on the kingdom. And that kept them working uh, together. They were focused on the wall. This wall had multiple meanings. Uh, yes, it was security and safety for their families. And it was a sense of solidarity and health for their community. You know, a wall that's all broken down is a defeated people. But beyond this, this was for the glory of God. This was his city. It was known by his name. It was a reflection on the Almighty. And they kept that in front of them. That was what was most important. I remember when I went to college, I grew up in a conservative church in Kansas. And I went to a secular university in California. There was a difference there. And I remember when I got there trying to find a believer, somebody else who, who loved Jesus. And it wasn't easy. But when we found each other, oh my goodness, they were, they were Episcopalian and they're Methodist. They were from all different kinds of backgrounds and there were some differences there. But they loved Jesus and we had a common purpose to get the message of Christ to the campus. And with that in front of us, we work through some other things because that was the most important thing. And that's, the, I think, the common task that's in front of Sun Valley. You have a, a common goal. And very simply, it's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. 
It is helping people to know and understand Jesus. You know, people throw the, the name of God around all the time. But when you say Jesus, that's unique and that's specific. And it's the message. If you're new to this church, and you, uh, you're going to find out really soon that that message of salvation in Christ who died for your sins, that's what this church is about. And that's the common goal, task that you need to keep in front of you at all times. It unites you. I don't know how often you do this. Um, I think maybe once a year or so. But I went on your website to review your identity statement of who you are as a church. And um, I was interested to see how it reflects this principle of the real heroes are out there in the street doing the work. I want to read this, and uh, we'll maybe be able to put it up for you there. This is right off the website. This is an identity statement from Sun Valley Church. With every sermon that's preached, word of counsel, conversation had over coffee, a culture is cultivated in the life of a church, an ethos is being shaped. At Sun Valley, we want to be intentional about cultivating the culture of our church. And from the sermons we preach, the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, family conversations we have around the dinner table at home, that sounds familiar, uh, around the water cooler at work, in the backyard with your small group, we desire to cultivate a life at Sun Valley Church around these three main distinctives. Gospel-centered, that's the message of Jesus. Grace-driven, that's the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And mission-minded, that's the great commission of salvation in Christ. Your statement emphasizes this truth that everybody's involved. All your different backgrounds, whether you're involved um, you know, in a life small group or a fellowship of Christian athletes or children's ministry or the mission society, um, greeting at the door. Maybe you're involved this summer with a Bible school or a barbecue. All of these different skills and gifts come together for this one purpose, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and to announce this is how the seemingly impossible work gets done. This is how Jesus does his miracle work through his people. This is where the heroes are found. So where are, where are you on, on the wall? What has God called you to do? Who do you work alongside? Uh, this is important to me uh, because as John said, I've retired. I don't know what that word means, but I'm being reassigned as to where the Lord wants me to serve. Different phases of life, there's different places where God puts us, the churches he puts us in. Where are you working? What role do you play? You matter. God knows your name. And you're here for a reason. And your, your efforts will matter to the kingdom of God. He uses ordinary and diverse people working together, focused on his kingdom. It all comes down to Malchijah ben Rechab. Remember we read about him? I'll read it again, verse 14. The dung gate was repaired by Malchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hecarim, he rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Now, you don't need much imagination to figure out why they called it the Dung Gate. It's at the end of a drainage ditch at the lowest point of the city, and you don't need me to give a lecture on waste treatment systems in the 4th century B.C. 
to know what's going on here. Besides, it's too close to lunch. And so I want you to picture old Malky. He's down there. You know, it's 90 degrees out, a sort of humid Judean day, about 2.35 in the afternoon. And you might be able to hear him. Man, the dung gate. Why me? Why here? Why couldn't I have got the cushy job up by the east gate near the, near the temple? This stinks. I mean, the least they could have done was give me some perfumers to work down here beside me. And by the way, oh, I don't think I like old Nehemiah running around slapping people on the back, making speeches. You know, there's no place for me and my family. I've got better things to do. I quit. Only takes one breach in the wall. You know, the guy next to him sees him quick and walk away. They join the nobles of Tekoa, and the work doesn't happen. I'm only one Malkaija. You're only one Malkaija. But you have a choice, just like he did, as to whether or not you're going to stay there as an essential worker to do your part, whether you're appreciated or unappreciated or seen or not. This is how God does his work. This is how he brings about his miracle of salvation as people are brought to Christ. He does this. What you know is that he knows your name. He remembers your name. And, and one last quote from your church purpose statement. And I'm going to ask you to read this one with me in unison together. Let's say this together. As a mission-minded church, we have true hope for everyone. The gospel produces real hope that sees no one as hopeless, since every transformation, including our own, is a miracle of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we have uh, confessed before you uh, our sin, and we, we know that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You have given us the opportunity to come before you and, and, and to ask that your spirit would continue to reform us, remake us into the person, the image of Christ. And as you do that, it's just an amazing thing that you would use your people to do amazing things in, in building your very kingdom in this world. Thank you for what you've done for these many years here at Sun Valley and what you're doing right now and what you will continue to do. And I just pray, Lord, for each and every person here that they would have a confidence that you've called them to the work and that they would have the joy of, of knowing that you know them, that you are with them. Uh, you are with them all the way and you will do your work. Thank you for remembering our names in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.